honor than that. Say this. He's more beautiful than the way that than, I, than than the way I think. He's greater than what I understand. He's more powerful. He loves me. He is for me beyond my understanding. Therefore, I must change my understanding and I must upgrade my thinking to the level of truth. Say this. I'm called to pursue truth until truth becomes my reality. I will not own my reality. Come on. I'm helping you. Until my reality becomes his truth. You understand that? We get bound by circumstances and we think our, we think our reality is what he wants. No, his truth, his word is what he wants. We're called to pursue what is true until truth becomes, his, becomes our reality. We're called to contend for what he promises us. We're called to pursue it with everything we have. We're not called to settle. We're called to fight for our promises and reach for them until his truth becomes our reality. You understand that? So pick a promise. I could go off on that, but I'm not. I was just kind of chatting a little bit. But hey, we're really glad. We're glad you're here. Glad everybody's here. I want you to encourage you to share the stream. I want to welcome everybody uh, watching by live stream as well. We're in John chapter 8. And so I'm just going to read this portion for you, and I want to pull it apart for you, and I want to talk about this a little bit this morning and help you understand and see, uh, God help me, the beauty of who Jesus truly is. It says, Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. The one who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have, everybody say this with me, the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said to him, you bear witness of yourself and your witness is not true. And Jesus said to them, even if I do bear witness of myself, my witness is true. For I know where I have come from and I know where I'm going. But you have no idea who I am. You have no idea where I'm going. You judge only by what you see. I don't judge anyone in that manner. Yet if I do judge, my judgment is true. For I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. It is also written in your law, this is true, that two men shall tell the, the testimony of two. I am one who bears witness of myself, and my Father bears witness of me as well. Then they said to him, where is your Father? <laughs> you, know, you neither know me, nor do you know my Father. For if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. These words Jesus spoke in the treasury of the temple, and no one laid hands on him, for his hour had not yet come. And he looked at them and he said, I'm going away now, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin, for where I go, you cannot come. So Jesus is in the temple, right? So he's in the temple, he's in the treasury. So if you've been here for the last few weeks, you have learned from me where the treasury is. Where is the treasury? It's in the court of the women, right? So what's happening here, it's the second temple Judaism. So there was, all of, there was a lot of things that changed. God met with his people. He gave the law of Moses coming out of, coming out of Egypt. He made it very simple. The way that they were to relate to him was very simple, wasn't complicated. Then, they, then there was a, they built a temple, the Temple of Solomon. A temple got destroyed, and then they went into a, a, a dispersion, and they ended up in gathering. They came back together, and they built what's called the Second Temple. Well, in the Second Temple, they added a lot of rules, and they added a lot of rituals. 
So Jesus is coming to Israel and Jerusalem during the time of the second, second temple, and they had added a lot of things to the law. They had added, and this is really where a lot of the tension is coming from when Jesus is talking with these Pharisees, because they had put down tradition into the law, and God never intended that. They had put rules down that you can see Jesus clearly didn't go by their rules. He's like, those are your rules, those aren't mine, Right? And one of the things that they actually did was they segregated the temple, the, temp the court of the Gentiles, the court of the women, and then, of course, the court of the men or the outer court where the priests could go and the men could go, but the women couldn't go there. It's not in the Bible. It wasn't in the Old Testament. It's not in the law. It's nowhere there. In fact, one of the things, especially when it related to the women, they had segregated this court. And the court that Jesus hung out mostly in was the court of the women. They didn't teach in the court of the women. No rabbi taught in the court of the women. They just didn't do that. They didn't hang out in the court of the women. That's not where dudes hung out, man. It's not a manly place to be, right? There weren't any wolf t-shirts going on in the court of the women. There were just, it was women. They're like, no, we're not hanging out there. But that's the most common place where Jesus was. If you look even in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, you see women serving at the gate or the door of the temple. You see them serving at the, they were tent maidens, and they served at the door of the tent of meeting where Moses met with the Lord, and they served at the door of where the tabernacle was. So clearly, God's original intent was not this segregation, yet they had taken it upon themselves to create this system of segregation, and they had segregated the Gentiles, and you could only cross into the courts if you were a certified, bona fide, uh, lineaged Jew. If you were a Jewish convert, well, you had to worship outside. You couldn't even come into the court of the women, man. You were outside. Even if you had been completely converted, even if you had completely bought into this whole system, they still wouldn't let you in. And that, again, is not scripture. The Lord told them that they were to bring, that, that when you have a stranger, a foreigner, an alien among you who comes to you and wants to worship the God of Israel, you were to encompass him or her. You were to take them in, right? Which is God's way. He takes you in, doesn't he? He adopts you as sons and daughters. Does he keep you outside and say, you guys can sleep in the garage? Is that what he does? You're given full rights of inheritance on day one. This is who he is. He doesn't withhold anything. When you're adopted into Christ, he gives you everything of himself, and you are given equal rights and authority and privileges and honor and stature and everything. Day one. You don't earn it. It's given. What we do as Christians, we don't earn anything. We manifest it. We manifest it. As we walk with Jesus, we're not earning anything. We're manifesting it. We're bringing out what's truly, what we truly are. You understand this? Uh, am I losing you already? <laughs> I hope I'm not. <laughs> so what we do when we become believers is one of the things is you're ado I'm adopted. I'm a son and a daughter, and I have an inheritance on day one. Every Christian has an inheritance. Every Christian has a purpose and a destiny. All you got to do with your inheritance is activate it. That's all you got to do, right? Having financial problems, go on to the Lord, and he'll help you. How many knows that's true, right? He gets you through. You want to prosper. You want to succeed. That's a different story. That's your destiny. Your destiny is to prosper and succeed. Your destiny is to be a lender to many and a borrower to none. That's your destiny. Your destiny is the Lord your God has given you the power to attain wealth that you may establish in your covenant in the land. That's your destiny. That's not your inheritance. Your inheritance is given. Healing's your inheritance. You don't have to do much to get healed, right? You don't have to, because it's your inheritance. Provision is your inheritance. His presence is your inheritance. Jehovah Shema, his name is your inheritance. That's why you can come here shot out and hung over and whatever it is you've been doing with your lifestyle or whatever, and you come limping in the door crying and calling out to Jesus, and boom, there's his presence immediately. 
You don't have to earn it to get it back. It's already there. It's your inheritance. Yeah? It's your inheritance. It's given to you. This is the treasure. This is the benefit plan of the believer. But there's more. There's a purpose and there's a destiny. And we shouldn't hover merely on our inheritance. We should move towards our purpose and our destiny. And that is what's manifested out of the life of the believer. And the way that we manifest that is by following him. As we align, say with me, I'm going to talk a little bit about this, I hope. Align and integrate. As you align and integrate your life with him and begin to journey and learn the things of his world, learn the things of his spirit, learn the things of his heart, then you begin to manifest the destiny. Then you begin to manifest the, that that's what happens. It comes out to be made known. That's the, that's the word manifest. It comes forth, right? Another story, another day. I might talk about it a little bit as we go down to notes. But <clears throat> So Jesus is in the temple. He's teaching in the temple. He's in the temple courts. He's in the court of the women. And so in the court of the women, they had colonnades that surrounded the court. So there was like a, you know, like a shade with all these columns. And typically the teacher would step into the colonnade and would speak because of the acoustics, right? So they would speak to try to project. So Jesus is probably talking in the colonnade. The early church met in the colonnades of the temple. The inner court where the, where the men went, there were buildings surrounding that courtyard that were like three stories high. With, with balconies that overlooked the temple courtyard. And I guess the higher you were on the hierarchy, you know, everybody, it's kind of like, I guess like, um, what is it, club seats at the football stadium, you know what I'm saying? You know, all of us down here on the bleachers and all those dudes up there in the catered getting the shrimp and whatever. Yeah, I went, to one, I went to one of those one time. Some dude worked for Bank of America and they got a guest suite and I went in there and I mean, it was pretty good, you know, watching a football game from up top, you know. Bringing in shrimp and whatever it was we needed. Oh, yeah, hey, bring in those crispy things. I don't even know what those crispy things in. Can we get more of those? You know, it was just nonstop, man. It was like a train of food coming in there and everything. So life's good. So that's kind of like the way they would. They would, they would set this system of hierarchy up, and they would look at, and it would be overlooking the temple. Jesus is in the court of the women, which was actually where most people were. That was usually the most populous place. He keeps having these confrontations with Pharisees. They just threw a woman in front of him that was uh, caught in adultery. That's what we talked about last week. So now Jesus is still teaching, and there's a lot of events going on around him. And the question is, is why is Jesus having these confrontations with Pharisees? You never see him having confrontations with Pharisees, rarely outside of Jerusalem or Judea. 15% of the population were Pharisees. Can you imagine? That's how religiously centric this city was. And there were all different sects of the Jews there, but the largest one was the Pharisees. They had the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, and the Herodians. And you, know, you were a part of one of that group or you were a part of nobody. You know? and if you were the Pharisee, you were in with the in crowd. And so one of these guys, these Pharisees, when they, when they, they would try to make their bones, they're trying to impress their leaders by, and by theologically or somehow trapping Jesus. If they could show up Jesus, well, man, they'd get a promotion probably. You know, wow, you were able to show that guy up. That's great. So they're all trying to show him up, show him up, show him up. Throw that woman caught in adultery, you know, that whole thing, trying to show him up. Who's, who's, whose face is on the coin, you know, that, 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 that deal. And so they're standing there, and they're, and they're all there. So the Pharisees had the power of the dominant, they, the majority power, but the Sadducees had political power. The Sadducees were complete and total sellouts. The Sadducees didn't care about the word of God. Sadducees didn't care about the temple. The Sadducees cared about lining their pockets. Sounds like our government. Cared about lining their pockets at the expense of everyone else around them. Didn't matter. They were only interested in political alliances. You don't know anything. We know everything. We'll take care of you. Right? Sounds like our government, right? 
Don't think. We don't need you to think. We'll think for you. You just be a drone and you just live your stupid, senseless life. And, you know, and we'll, we'll, we'll do it all for you. This is kind of like how these guys were. So the Sadducees were very indifferent. Jer- Jesus barely spoke to the Sadducees. He almost never talked to them because they denied. He even told them, you are ignorant of the word of God and the power of God. That's who he said that to. He said, you guys don't know the word. You don't care about the word. And you're most definitely ignorant of the power. So don't even be talking about power when you know nothing about it. Don't talk to me about kingdom power when you know nothing about it. Don't talk to me about the word when you know nothing about it. That's what Jesus was saying to that group, which was not a really nice thing. It was not for them. They were like offended. It was a great thing for him to say. The Pharisees prided themselves on the knowledge of God, the purity of the law, elitism, and their family line. Huh? That's why they're even referencing him here in this chapter. Like, where's your father? You know, you're teaching. Who's your father? Where's, your, where's the purity of your bloodline? He had more of a pure bloodline than any of them combined. He was the heir of the eternal world. He was the prince that came down. And his family line, forget it, man. They were direct. Both his mother and his father were direct descendants of the son of David. Of David. His father was the direct descendant of the heir. J- Joseph, his earthly father, was the direct heir of David. If anyone was to be king in Israel, it would have been his, his earthly father, Joseph. He was the legal heir to the throne. Legally, Joseph should have been the king. Mary, was the, Mary, his bloodline, so he had the legal right through his father. He was born of heaven. He was not born of Joseph, but he had a legal right through his father. He had the blood right through his mother, who also was a descendant of David through a different path. She went through the son of Nathan. So Mary descended through one of David's sons named Nathan, and Joseph descended through the line of the kings through Solomon. So you want to talk about a pedigree? You can't get a better pedigree than that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> they want to talk about family line. Jesus is like, let's go. But he never, he never did that. He didn't bling that. He, if, you don't, if you don't care to know me, then I don't care to know you. <gasps> this is a frightening thing, right? What's one of the things Jesus says at the end? Depart from me. I don't know who you are. You never took the time to know me. You don't care about me. You, you don't know anything about me, right? Even when he was talking about, you know, I am the water, you know, if anyone thirsts, he, 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 he challenges them when they were trying to, they were talking amongst themselves and he challenged them openly. He said, you know me? You know where I come from? He told them, you know nothing. You don't know anything about me. He's doing the same thing here. So here they had Jesus in the, they had just, they had, so everything's just kind of settling down from this woman in adultery. And sometime during this time period, Jesus is still teaching. He's still in the temple courts because this verse again says he's in the treasury. So he's in the treasury where the treasury is. And the treasury was where everyone gave their offering. And there were 13 trumpets. So they had to pour their money into the trumpet. That's how they gave, right? Again, not necessarily prescribed by God, but it's what they wanted to do because it was an exercise in vanity, right? So the rich man would come in, probably with announcements. These rich guys always had a, they always had an entourage. Hail everyone, hail, hear, hear me, hear me. The glorious and great Moshe will now give his offering to the glorious temple of the great Yahweh. And then the man would come up and dump his money in. And the crowd would go, Ah, oh, how Moshe loves God. Jesus is like, he's a tipper. He's not a giver. That man's a tipper. He gave out of his abundance. That didn't cost him anything. That meant nothing to him. And the widow woman comes eking up. Tink, tink. So there is the lover of Yahweh. There is the lover of God. Not by the amount that she gave, but from the place that she gave it from. 
You understand? Come on. Yeah. Let's go. So it's morning. This is beautiful. So there, he's in the court of the women. Everything Jesus did was almost in a challenge directly or indirectly to their system. He's just standing there. He didn't wash his hands. He's challenging their system. He's eating on the Sabbath. He's challenging their system. He never gave those rules. Those aren't his rules. He's in the court of the women. Your rules, not mine, right? And he's standing there. And in the morning, so what would happen? So during the Feast of Tabernacles, the court of the women. So the women, the women weren't allowed into the next zone, right? So they weren't allowed into the, to the manly zone. Right? So the women were relegated only to the court of the women. And so what the women did is the women would, during the Feast of Tabernacles, as they would fill, it's called the illumination of the temple, they would fill the court of the women with candles. And they would be like, y'all ain't going to let us party up there? Well, we're going to party right out here. Right? And so they would illuminate the courtyard with candles. The court of the women at night would be filled with candles. And the women would come in the evening, and it would just be, they would all start singing and the women would start dancing, and they would, they would praise the Lord, and they would dance, and they would leap, and they would, they would ribbons, and so they had all these ribbons, and they would dance with ribbons, and they would be jumping, and there would just be all of the song coming up from the court of the women, and it would all be by like candlelight. It's like a beautiful moment, right? So this is what they would do, and they would honor the Lord. And they're like, you're not going to let us praise? Well, we're going to praise on our own then. You're going to keep us outside? Well, we're going to make our own glory to God because we love Jesus just as much as you do. Right? And all the women said, Amen. Right. And so here's Jesus. So it's the morning. It's probably mid-afternoon, somewhere in that time. And what would be happening is the women from the night before would be coming into the court of the women. So Jesus is standing there. He's teaching. All the Pharisees are around him. They just threw away the woman that, that was in adultery. And so there's still Pharisees standing around him trying to figure out, okay, what do we do next? That one didn't work. And so the women are coming in. And what they're doing is they're resetting the candles. This is most likely the scene. They would come in and reset the candles. And so the women would be coming in. Whew. Girl, was that a dance party last night for the Lord or what? Oh, yes, yeah, Susan, that was a great dance party. I can't wait. We're going to boogie tonight too. Yeah, it's going to be great. And so all the women are going around and they're resetting the candles because they're going to come and they're going to party again that night in the temple. And so Jesus is standing there, most likely, in the illumination of the temple. What he says and where he says it is always significant. And he's standing there where the temple would be illuminated, and Jesus is watching these women, most likely, and he's like, it's genius. I love it. Then he says, I am the light of the world. If anyone comes to me, they will not walk in darkness, <laughs> and I will give to them the light of life. He says that while this is happening, and they're all looking around going, you've got to be kidding me. He's doing it again. You know? Just when you're pouring, didn't you just do this when we poured out the water? Now you're going to say, this is you too? And Jesus is like, this is me. And so the fire by night, that's what it means. They would illuminate the temple, and it was a reminder in the book of Exodus. Well, I'll read you the verse. And it says, the Lord went before them in a pillar of, cl in a pillar of, of cloud by day, so he would lead them during the day when the children of Israel came out of Israel or Egypt. He would lead them with a pillar of cloud, an illuminated cloud, and at night there would be a firelight among them, right? A blazing fire. In the night, the Lord would be, so that they would know his presence was among them. They knew, my presence is with you. By day and by night, I'm with you. And so this illumination of the temple was to remind them and to remember the light of God before them. And the praise of, God, the, praise of the God of Israel, the God who celebrates his people. And we, his people, we celebrate the God of Israel who loves us and he loves you. Right? 
So if you see singing and dancing, and you say, you guys are a bunch of weirdos. No, we love Jesus, okay? We love Jesus. We're not the frozen chosen, right? We're living sons and daughters who will glorify their father at all costs. That's what we are. Make no mistake. Come on, say it with me. I will glorify my father at all costs, including the cost of my dignity. Oh, yeah. <laughs> dignified worship, pastor. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to worship God in a dignified manner. Dignified manner. You don't see it in Scripture. You don't see that in Scripture. You don't see it, right? You even see the crazy King Saul taking off his clothes, laying down and prophesying. What's that all about? That doesn't seem very dignified. David takes it off, strips down. He's leaping and jumping. I've thought about that scene many times. And like, you know what I wonder? I don't even think the brother was coordinated. So he could be like leaping and acting really weird. It, didn't, it doesn't say he, could, he was a good dancer. It just says he danced. Right? We don't think I can't dance like, Dan, like David. We think he's like Barishnikov or something. It doesn't say he's like Barishnikov. It, it just says he danced. Just, he got his groove on, man. You don't, see it in the, you don't see it in the scripture. You don't see it. They danced before the Lord. They would throw flowers in the air. They would run with ribbons. It was a glory. It wasn't, it wasn't, a mighty fortress is our God. Right? Too close? Or better yet, shout to the Lord all the earth. We sing a song about shouting to the Lord, and we're singing it, shout to the Lord. I mean, shout to the Lord with a voice of triumph. Sing, dance, yada, which is to shoot your hands up. Shoot your hands up before the Lord. Twirl is another word that's used. Twirl. Yeah, some of y'all want to get your twirl on? You should get your twirl on. Woo! <laughs> and so Jesus is looking at them, and he says, I'm the light of the world. The one who follows me is not walking in darkness. It was also a prophetic declaration. It wasn't just Jesus stepping into the symbolisms that they, were, they had created. He was fulfilling the word of God. And he, they would have known this. So the priests and the Pharisees, these guys were versed in this. And they were experts on the Messiah. Right? Look, Messiah, don't tell us who the Messiah is. If anyone's going to tell us who the Messiah is, we're going to tell you who the Messiah is. You know, they're standing in front of the Messiah, right? And they refuse to accept the Messiah because they were the only ones in their minds that was authorized to declare the Messiah. That's why they said to him, your testimony isn't true. We have not validated you. You're not under our covering. You haven't gone to our schools. What validity do you hold? Right? Jesus is like, your rule's not mine. The law was given for you, not for me. My testimony is true because I am truth personified. I cannot lie. I told you two witnesses because you guys are liars. Yeah, you like to stretch the truth a little bit. So that's why when something was testified of, there was two witnesses to validate it. That was for you, not for me. Yeah, that's what he's saying. Here's Isaiah 42. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. These are prophetic verses calling forth the Messiah. Of when the Messiah comes, this is what he's going to do. There's other parts of it, but I, I'm not gonna, I don't have time to get into all of it. It says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. Speaking of the coming one, right? I will hold your hand and I will keep you. And I will give for you a covenant. To, I will give you as a covenant for the people. So this is the Father speaking of the act of the Son. 
You have a triune Godhead. You have Father, Son, and Spirit. You have a, you have a king, the Lord of glory, right? The, the, the Lord of the angel armies. You have the Father and the king who rules it all. And you have the Spirit who administrates it. And the king says, I'll go for them. I'll leave the throne. And the Father stands and declares, and I will make you a covenant to the people. I will uphold you as you humble yourself. So why did the Father have to hold Jesus' hand? Because he humbled himself. And he became weak. And he took on the form of a servant. Right? And in his weakness, the Father said, I will uphold you. As you leave this realm for that one, as you lay back and don't access your deity, I will walk with you and I will protect you. And I will hold your hand. That's why. Because he came for you. And do you know if he came for you, he had to get weaker than you? You think you're weak? Jesus got weaker than you. He had to become less than you in order to lift you up. This is what it's all about. Jesus doesn't come alongside of you and draw you. He comes beneath you to lift you. He take, he's the sin bearer. He took all, that you, all of the junk of humanity, all of the brokenness, all of the despair, all of the labels, all of the lowly state, the beggarhood. He had no place to lay his head. He took on it all, and he came beneath it. And the world despised him for it. They hated him. That's why the whores loved him and the drunks proposed the toast, right? The broken are the ones who wanted Jesus because he was never, he didn't placate himself to this elite group that wanted him to be, you need to be magnanimous. You need to be this. You need to be that. He didn't play that. He went low. He went low. He said, the well have no need of a physician. You guys are well in your own mind. You're not really well. You're self-righteous. You're self-justifying. You know, these people know they're broken. You have no clue you're broken. These people know they're lost. You guys are completely clueless that you're lost, right? So Jesus gravitates towards the ones who know. Blessed are the poor in, right? They know they're broken, right? Greatest, greatest treasure, greatest thing you could ever come to is to know the poverty in which you stand. You can be financially rich and you're spiritually broken, right? Come on, the way we keep score, this is how we keep score in our world. The one with the most toys wins. You know, that's how we keep score. We keep score by financial status. That's how we keep score. That's not how the kingdom keeps score, right? It's not about financial status. Jesus doesn't have an issue with financial status. He created commerce. He created money. He's got streets of gold and walls of jasper. You think he's got a problem, of, you think he's got a problem with money? He blings it. His throne sits on a sea of diamonds. I mean, you can't get any more blinger than that. He's blinging. Right? He's not concerned with that. That's not, but that's not the standard by which he measures himself. That's not the standard by which he measures us. It's not about wealth and prosperity for the sake of status. It's about wealth and prosperity for the sake of the kingdom. Big difference, big dynamic, big shift. So I called you, I called you unto righteousness. I will hold your hand and I will give you as a covenant for the people. See, Jesus is a gift. It will give you as a covenant for the people. And I will give you as a light to the Gentiles. Greek word ethnos. You know what ethnos means? People not like you. Yeah? There's no such thing as a race in the Bible. Race doesn't exist in the Bible. There's one race. We're the human race. The Bible says in the book of Acts, we're made from one blood. We come from Adam. There's no such thing as race. The Bible uses the word ethnos. Ethnos means different, and we're all different, right? Jesus likes variety, clearly, right? Different colors, different shapes, different size. You know, he, he's into it. You know, he likes it. 
I will give you as a light to all ethnoses. To a Jew, that was offensive. Oh, my gosh. He's going to be a light to, the, to those people? Yep. He's going to be a light to those people. And I will open their blind eyes, and you will bring forth the prisoners from their prison. And the ones who are seated and found in darkness, they will be loosed from the prison house. He's not just going to save you. He's going to deliver you. Right? The word salvation means, say with me, saved, saved healed, healed, and delivered. It's a comprehensive concept. Yeah? Your inheritance is not just salvation and eternal life. It's healing. Healing where? Healing in every part of your body. Healing in every part of your brokenness. Healing in every part of your soul. Healing is your inheritance. You still in hurting? Healing belongs to you. And then it's deliverance. Deliverance from what? Deliverance from the lingering after effects of a former life you no longer own. We come out of darkness, but there's still trails of darkness that still come with us. I don't know if you're aware of that. Yeah? doesn't mean you're not saved. You must be delivered from the lingering aspects of a life you no longer own. You must be delivered from the body of death. Covenants, rights, it's another teaching, another day. You know, don't, don't start looking at me cross-eyed, right? <laughs> I might touch on a few deep things from here and there. doesn't mean I have to explain them, right? But they're deep things. You need to be delivered. Many of you need to be delivered. You still have hang-ups and attitudes from things and systems and places, and you can't get rid of it. And those things pull you. They keep pulling you. Most of it, it could be generational. It could be inherited. That's part of it. And you've partnered with it somewhere along the line. So therefore, that generational curse that has been unbroken remains and is now active because somewhere along the line, you participated in that. Yeah? There's also the brokenness of the soul. This is really where the damage is. In the brokenness of the soul, the soul is broken. And what not the spirit, so there are Christians who are born again in the spirit, but are bruised and wounded in the soul. The soul is the mind, will, and emotion. This is where all your problems are. Your problems aren't in the spirit. Your problems are in the soul. Your problems are the way that you think. Your problems are your compulsive behaviors, right? And your problems are in your emotions. Yeah? It's true. And where the brokenness is, that's where the devil lies. See, the Holy Spirit, when the devil has a right, and this is another thing for another day. Some of you are going to already throw theological rocks at me and try to hit me with it. That's okay. I've been around there. I've been around a block many times. I know where I'm coming from. And what happens is I see it all day long. This is what happens. So when you want to know where your dysfunction is, it's not because you're a poor loser Christian. This is what the devil wants you to know. See, the devil, yeah, come on, preach. Yes, let's go. Let's go. So what the devil does is he owns parts of you. Jesus owns your spirit. But because this part of you is unredeemed, because there's a wound there, Let's just play off wounds. Because there was wounds, abandonment, abuse, neglect, or some form thereof, that wounds the soul. Lows way back. That wound is there. It's familiar to you. That's why every time you get in that circumstance, the devil just flicks the button, and all the emotions of that circumstance start firing. Right? You've been neglected. You've been abused. You've been abandoned. You've been rejected. Every time you watch this, watch how it plays. I'm going to show you. It's real simple. This is a simple illustration. You've been rejected, right? You're starting to move forward. I'm going to move forward with Jesus. And we're like, yeah. The Holy Spirit's like, yeah. But there's a brokenness and there's a right of rejection with you. 
And so you step forward, and the devil sees the, and he just pushes the button of rejection. Doot! And you get rejected. Your friends reject you. Your boss rejects you. Somehow rejection, that's a trigger point. Boom, you get rejected. All these emotions start moving inside of you, or some form thereof. It doesn't have to be as dramatic as I'm saying, but it is some form of this. All these emotions start moving in, and they start, you know, and you don't even know what's going on. You're like whipsawed. You don't even, you know, maybe, you know, you're like, what is wrong with me? Why am I feeling this way, right? And then you start thinking, I must be a loser. I must be a, I must, people must not like me. You start thinking crazy thoughts, right? So the emotions, the mind, and then you're like, I need to go get a bottle of Jack. I need to find some Haagen-Dazs now. You start making compulsive decisions because of the damage and the emotions that affects the thinking and it creates a compulsive behavior. That's what happens. They're compulsive reactions. You know, I've met really godly people who love Jesus, but they're broken and they can't overcome the compulsive behavior. And they say, the thing that I don't want to do, I do. And the thing that I want to do, I don't do. Who will deliver me from this See, Paul uses the word deliverance. He, who will deliver me from this body of death? So there's got to be deliverance in order to overcome that. Right? See it right there? Wouldn't plan on talking about deliverance, but it did come up. Anyway, so that's the idea. And then what happens, every time the devil pulls a trigger on you and he gets you rejected and you start spiraling, he jumps in your face and goes, you're a loser. Oh, Jesus doesn't love you. You loser Christian. You know, you're unwanted. You know, better yet, here's what he does with me. You're a pastor, right? You cut that old lady off at the parking spot in the parking lot. You loser pastor. <laughs> right? You know, start playing into that. And when you're free from that, those words don't affect you anymore. They don't affect you, right? Jesus said, the, come on. The prince of this world comes. He has nothing in me. There is nothing in me that he can manipulate. There's nothing in me that he controls. So that's kind of the goal. Isaiah 46 or 49, he says the same thing. This is a prophet speaking of Jesus, light of the world. He says, the father again speaking over the son. Is it a small thing that you should be my servant? In other words, this is a very great deal, right? This is no small thing that the Messiah, the Savior, the King of glory, right? God of the angel armies becomes his servant. Serve you. This is no small thing. And he says, is it too small of a, is this a small thing that you become my servant? I have sent you to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to reserve and to preserve ones within Israel. But I've also called you to be a light to the Gentiles that you should bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Amen. What's that feedback, guys? You got that feedback? I don't know. Oh, thank you. All right. So here's the idea. Man's bound in darkness. This is how lost we are. We need light. Ever say it with me. Mankind. Needs light. We're so lost, we don't even know. We're lost in our lostness. This is how lost we are. We are so lost. Man is lost to the uttermost, bound in darkness, lost in darkness, completely blind in the dark and unaware of their own condition. Blind men groping in the dark. This is what you see all over the place. Man is lost morally, right? Man is lost emotionally. Man is lost and in darkness relationally. You see it. All you got to do is watch the way the world works without Jesus. They make it up as they go along, right? This is making it up. So lost in darkness, we don't even know who a male and a female is anymore. This is how lost the culture is. We don't know what a man and a woman is anymore, really. We, we, we've lost all sense of that, and we've replaced identity with pronouns. And as if, and here again, here again, right? I'm going to offend you, but that's okay. 
Everybody say it with me. It hurts so good. That's right. Right? Right? Where there's no challenge, there is no change. This is where we're at. This is where we've fallen to. All this is is, it's, it's, all this is, is when, the pre, when the church stops teaching truth and the church stops being salt, the, the culture corrupts like that. Like that. We've had pacifist preachers in the pulpit for the last 30 years. Some of you all been around the faith. Where are the lions? There would be lions. We haven't had a, well, we need to just, we need to just, you know, we need to just be accepted. You know, and you've seen this pacifist message taught within the culture for at least the last 25 years. My wife and I would talk about things. I said, you don't need to worry about Washington. You need to look at the seminaries and watch what's coming out of the seminaries. And I said that 20 years ago, 20 years ago. And now we've got weak no one talks about right and wrong. No one talks about sin. And what happens? That moral vacuum is filled by darkness immediately. Some of you, in your lifetime, you never thought you would see what we're seeing now. In your lifetime. It's that quick. It's that quick. We're confused. What are we confused about? What are we confused about? He made them male and female. The confusion is not because God made them confused. The confusion is the brokenness in the soul. There's a fracture. There's either a fracture in the person or there's a fracture in the caregiver of the person who's counseling the person to tell them that what their gender is. That child may not be broken, but the person that's telling them that sure as heck is. Give me a break, man. I mean, can we, can, we just, can we just say it? I mean, is it what's, what's well, we can't say that. Well, yes, we can. Yes, we can. I didn't write the book, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus wrote it. He made them male and female. He didn't make them confused. There's no stuttering here. It's a corruption. It is an absolute and total corruption. It is a corruption across the board. It is a demonic design of, of, the, of God's creation. It's the devil manifesting through wicked men. And you're like, no, it's just society. Dude, you need to do a study on demonic power, and you need to do a study on the spirit world, right? Light dispels darkness. We've not shined light, and darkness is there. Darkness has filled the authoritative structures of our culture. Darkness has filled the authoritative structures of our school, of our politics, because the church has waxed weak. And we've not challenged the people, run for the school board. Run for the school board. I lost twice. Go again. Run until you win. We've not challenged people to take rightful places in businesses. Start your own tech company. Right? Stop bowing down to the altars of, these, of, the, of a cartel. Yeah? That has no other agenda. It's godless. I would even say, well, there's difference. There's righteous, there's godless, and there's wicked. Most people are just godless. They're just clueless. Right? They're just, they just don't know. They're good people trying to live good lives, and they're just trying to figure it all out, but they're, they're just godless. They don't know. Then you got another group that's called wicked, and they know what they're doing. They know what they're doing. That's what's going on around Jesus right here. These are wicked people. They are willfully ignorant. They can know, and they see. If anybody would have known Jesus was the Messiah, it was them, and they said, no way. No way. No way. No way. And that's where we're at. We have to rise to the level of our birth. We have to allow this to become, we have to allow and, and just use our voice, but more than just our voice, we have to leverage ourselves into a position of influence. The, like a spirit, like you want to talk about spirit mute? Huh? I'll give you one. Spirit of deaf and dumb. You guys know the story? Well, the boy was in the fire. You know the story? Do you know who Jesus rebuked? 
Anybody want to help me? Read the story. He rebuked the whole generation because that spirit that was on that boy of death and dumb, unwilling to hear and unwilling to speak, was on the whole generation. And he said, wicked generation, how long must I be with you? That spirit wasn't on that boy. That spirit was on that generation. They would not hear and they would not speak. Just the thought, we need to be nice. We may not be liked. You're not, Jesus said, ring the bell if they hate you. Ring the bell, right? He's like, they're hating you because you're standing up for me? Come on down. I got a check waiting for you on the other side. Let's go. We cannot be, we must become fearless. We must not be weak, right? Jesus is looking for lions. This church is lions. We are lions. We are warriors. We do not fear the dark. We do not fear the voices within the culture, no matter how strong. We're going to throw you in the fire. Well, God's able to save us. And if he does, he does. And if he doesn't, he doesn't. But he's still God. Right? Daniel got chucked into lion's den because he wouldn't go along. Where are we? You know? You're going to sit at a table with those men. You're going to see them in the eternal world. What will your testimony be? Oh, we caved. We caved. We just surrendered. You know, when the TV, we watched a box on the wall called the television, and whatever the television told us to do, we did it. Whatever the television told us to do, we did it. Whatever the television told us to do, we did it. Yeah. Yeah. Daniel's going to be go, hey, yo, dude, man, those are the TV people over there. How do you know? Because whatever the television tells them to do, they do it. Whatever the television tells them to do, they do it. Like a flock of geese driven by a lion. Right? The roaring lion plunges and the herd scatters. Not understanding the unity and the power that they actually hold. One lion. Those wildebeest could crush that dude. Right? One lion scatters a herd of the most dominant animals on the world in the world. One lion. Because the animal doesn't know what it is. And they don't understand the power of the unity. They don't understand the power of the tribe. They don't understand what they carry. But they fear it. They fear it. They fear in perception. Their perceptions. That's why the narrative is always fear, Christian. Always fear. Always fear. Turn on your Google News feed. Fear, 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 fear. Turn on television. Fear, 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 fear. The narrative is always fear. Always. Because fear diminishes and leads to control. Come on. It diminishes you and enables you to be controlled. That's what it does. Just a word, just a thought, just a challenge. You know, my name's Pastor Kevin. I'm your friend. Right? I'm here all year. <laughs> Man. Yeah, Jesus is the light of the world. He's the phos. Everybody say it with me, phos. That's the word he uses, phos. We get the word phosphorus from this word phos. He could have used any word. He could have used the word lucent, which is where we get the word lucifer from means reflected light. See, Lucifer's not light. He's reflected light. He's a throne angel. He was a guardian angel. He's a throne, a, throne, a throne servant made with music and instruments, and he was called to reflect the light that bounced on him. So he was a lucent being. He reflected what was given to him, but he wasn't the source of it. Jesus uses phos. We get the word phosphate from it. We get, you know, most lights are phosphorus or phosphates are used to illuminate light. 
It's an element that when they come, it's literally the source of illumination. Right? Some of you have radiant, your watch glows without a battery, that's phosphate. There's a phosphate mixture in there or something like that. Also, they use it to do, um, to pull, uh, uh, it, it reveals the whole spectrum of light. It can show UV light and it can show infrared. In other words, the element of phos can reveal what is unseen. Jesus is like, look, I'm not reflected light. I'm the element of life itself. I am life and I am light. There is no light without me. I'm not a reflection of it. I am it. I'm not one of many. I'm the one and only. Right? It's not me, Muhammad, and Buddha. It's me and me alone. You understand that? It's important that you do. When you're born again, everything is different. Right? That's what happens. Because light comes into you. Foss poof, comes into you. And you're like, wow. This is crazy. I never, green, I never knew green could be so green. That's how I was. Do you hear that? Do you hear that? Do you hear the birds singing? Kevin, the birds sing every day. Not like that, they don't. I was alive, illuminated, foss in me. Are you tired of walking in darkness? Even Christians walk in darkness. They're born again, sons and daughters of the light, but they remain in darkness because they refuse to follow. That's what he says. All who follow me will not remain in darkness, but I will give them the light of life. When we follow him, we literally, remember the word manifest? We manifest what we are. We literally come out of darkness. Christians settle and remain as they were. I'm in the, I'm in the Jesus business, and I'm in the people business. That's what I do, right? And so part of my thing is knowing the Lord and seeing human nature and trying to find out why doesn't this match up with this? Where's the disconnect? It's almost always in the following, almost always, almost always. I know people who are Christians and they're, they're, they're slaves and bound, right? No different, no different than they were when they came born again because they refused to follow. They will not follow. Jesus is Lord of their eternity, but he's not Lord of their time. He's not Lord of their money. He's not Lord of their relationships. He's not Lord of their body. They refuse to follow. They refuse to follow. And so they remain the same. Born again, saved and going to heaven. And the world collapses on them all the time because they will not align and they will not follow and they will not integrate. That's what happens. You can't be an observer in, this, in, this, in Christianity. Christianity is not for observers. It's for participants. <laughs> How beautiful. You must be a follower. Light purifies, light attracts, light reveals, light guides, and light protects. Light is a good thing. He tells us what light is. So, this is so powerful. One, say it with me. One of the most important words in the whole of the New Testament is the word life. Say this. It's the Greek word zoe. This life only comes from the Lord. It doesn't come anywhere else. All of you, because you're in the room right now, and if I put a mirror under your nose and it fogged, that would mean you're alive. So you have bios life. That's life of the body, biological or bios life. You have life in the soul. Right? Mind, will, and emotions, that's the life of the suke. You have life in the personality, the uniqueness of you. That's numa. The only, but the life that rules them all is zoe. Zoe life is the life that only comes from God. You, you're not born with it. You're born again. You have to become born again to get it. You're not born this way. This life, this is what Jesus says. I am the phos. I am the illuminating and light-giving power of all things. 
and those who will come after me, I will give this light of life. It's animation, right? Let's just hit rewind, right? Let's hit rewind. Remember when you were born again? Is anybody here when you were born again, right? Right? Like David said, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. When you're born again, you're like, what? Wow. You know? You're just alive. It's, the word zoe is animate. Alive. It's what we all want. It's why people jump on bungee cords. Right? It's why people try to you know, achieve great things because they want a feeling and an expression of animate life. True animate life comes only in the spirit and it's only given by Jesus. No one else has it. You have it. You should be tapping that well all the time. The joy of the Lord is your... Right. What's the joy of the Lord? The joy of the Lord is my strength. No, it's the power, the zoe, life of God is your strength. That's what it means. So it's this animate life that makes alive your mortal body, Romans says. You know what I'm talking about? You're just like, I feel alive, right? Makes alive your emotions. Woo! I feel fire. I feel water. Let it rain, right? That's Zoe life. You guys need to learn to draw on that and experience that and not hold that off at a distance. Zoe life quickens your mind, mind, will, and emotions. When you're in the spirit, you're a genius. You know what I'm talking about? You, can, you, you feel like you can solve calculus problems when you're in the spirit. You're just like, man, I don't know. I feel like I can, sign the, I feel like I can solve the, <laughs> Einstein's relativity equation. I don't know. I mean, I just feel like I can do it. I'm not really sure how to do it, but I just feel like I can do it because it's the mind of the spirit. You're in the Zoe life of God, the animate life of God. It comes by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives life to the spirit. Did you know that? And you know what that is? Transcendence. Transcendence. So he gives life to the body, gives life to the soul, and he gives life to the spirit. Transcendence. An ability to see past where you are. This is where prophetic comes in. That's the transcending power of the Zoe life of God upon the life of the believer, igniting and lifting the spirit beyond where it is. Transcendence. Zoe power. You have it. If you're in Christ, it's yours. Right? It's yours. Anybody ever see the movie, the old movie Fantastic Four? You ever seen that one? Remember that? Yeah? There's, there's a story in that that people don't pick up. You're like, that movie was junk. Well, it was cool at the time, you know? You know the movie Fantastic Four? Anybody with me, right? So here you have four people endowed, endowed with superpowers, right? And there is a figure, there's something, that movie always spoke to me this way, right? So you got the, the stretchy guy, right? The stretchy guy, you know who I'm talking about? Stretchy guy? Mr. Fantastic, yeah? So Mr. Fantastic's like, what's happened to us? We need to sit down and we need to figure this out. We, need, we don't need to do anything until we figure this out because they'd been transformed. The woman had received transformation, the invisible girl. She's like, we just need to hide. I don't know. This is weird. Something's happened to us. We just need to hide. And you got the rock guy. He's like, look at me. My life was better than it was before Jesus. I, need, I wish I want to go back to what I was before. Look at me. And then you got the human torch. He's like, this is awesome. Flame on. Which one are you? Which one are you, Christian? Are you, you're the flame on, right? Are you the Christian that's got to sit down and go, well, I can't, under, you know, I got to calculate and understand this spiritual thing, or I just don't, you know, I just got to calculate it. It's got to make sense to me. Are you the one that's going, hide? Oh, I don't know. We just need to hide. We need to be invisible. Are you the one that's going, my life was better before I came to Jesus? Uh, look at me. Uh, I can lift up mighty things. I can blow a hole in a wall, and I'm the strongest guy in the world, but look at me. 
Or are you the flame on guy that says, I don't need to understand it. I don't know what this is, but I feel alive when I use it and I want it all. Which one are you? Which one are you? Exactly. Exactly. You're somewhere in that spectrum, I can assure you. Yeah? You're somewhere along the line in that spectrum. You're not to be an observer. Zoe life. It's a life given by the Lord. Greatest word in the Old Testament. It's a life that rules all. Zoe life rules all. It's eternal life. That's what activates when you get into spirit. That's why the Bible says, walk in the, and you will not fulfill the selfish desires of the flesh. Outside the spirit, all bets are off. Yeah. You're making it up as you go along, whether you like it or not. You just are. And so you have to get in the spirit. You have to learn to walk in the spirit. This is a daily exercise, and your flesh will not like it. Because your flesh wants to be in control. Your flesh knows that when the spirit, when you enter into the realm of the spirit and the activation of the spirit is with you and on you and upon you, when that happens, the flesh has no mastery over you. But your flesh doesn't want it. Your flesh likes it gritty and dirty and ugly and destructive. Your flesh is used to eating poison. It likes it. It knows nothing else but that. And so you have to realize that that contradiction will always be there. You have to get, not always, that's another story, but that contradiction is there, and you have to move into the spirit. How do you do that? I'm going to help you. Anybody want to walk in the Zoe life that Jesus promises right here? Do you want to do it? Right? It's not that hard. It's not that hard, right? We have to practice. You have to set the morning. This is really one of the easiest things in the world. Say with me, set the morning. Set the morning. Get up in the morning and worship the Lord. Amen. Don't check your Twitter. Don't check your news feed. Don't check Google News. God forbid. Don't turn on the television. I'm a news junkie. You need to be a Jesus junkie. Amen. Right? Amen. And people tell me that. I'm a news junkie. I'm like, oh my gosh, man. I cannot imagine what your perspective on life is. But nonetheless, you need to be a Jesus junkie. My wife and I were just talking. She's like, you know, we really don't have any other hobbies besides Jesus. And that's exactly right. I don't golf. I don't skydive. You know? I don't, I, don't, I don't do, you know, I, that's not what I do. The Lord is my world. Amen. He is my everything. And that's true, you know. So if you, yeah, come on. It's integration. So it's the, the idea is to set the day. What do you do? This is alignment. You connect and commune with the Lord throughout the day. You start talking to the Holy Spirit. You start getting in the presence in the morning, listening to worship. You say, I can't do it seven days a week, Pastor. It's hard. Can you do it three? Can you do it three? Can you do it Monday, Wednesday, and Friday? And you start doing it Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, you're going to start jonesing on Tuesday because you're going to be like, man, I need that again. I need that again. The Holy Spirit's addicting, right? He is your addiction. That's why you're addicted. That's why you want to be addicted to something. You're created to be dependent upon something. But it's not substances and it's not people, places, and things. You're created to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit. As the deer pants for the water, ladies and gentlemen, that's a jones right there if I've ever heard one, right? We're dependent upon him every morning, awaken to the Holy Spirit and just simply say, Holy Spirit, I give you my day. And just begin to worship. And as soon as you start worshiping, I guarantee you, you're going to feel his presence. As soon as I started doing that, I feel his presence right now, right? I mean, he's already in me. I was already rushing in me now, but when I, as soon as I started to worship, I felt him upon me. Don't you chill him out, right? You need to practice the presence. So when you're in your presence and you're in, nobody's around, you don't want to like get all weird in front of anybody, just let the Holy Spirit come on you and start letting him move upon you, letting him love you. It's the embrace of your Father given to you through the gift of the Spirit. You know, what happens, most Christians, they feel the Holy Spirit, and they're like, oh, you stay right there, stay right there. Nah, man, put your worship on, 
I exalt thee, whatever, whatever gets you in the zone, and just spend a few moments. And as you're there, Holy Spirit, I just give my day to you. I have a stressful day, Lord. Give me the wisdom to deal with my day in the presence in the presence, go forth from the presence, commune with the Lord throughout the day, talk to the Lord throughout the day, right? Uh, Lord, I need help. I got a meeting this afternoon. I need help, right? That's what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah's walking in front of the king, and it says, Nehemiah prayed. Nehemiah had a big meeting. He didn't know what he was going to say, and he just said, Jesus, help me, as he walked up to the commune with the Lord throughout the day, respond to his prompts. Say with me, the Holy Spirit will prompt me. He's going to prompt you, Right? He's going to prompt you. You start walking with him, he's going to prompt you. He's going to prompt you. He's going to prompt you. Another story, and we'll get into that. Integration, what does that mean? So this is alignment. Set the day, man. Command the dawn, right? It's one of the things. Command the dawn. Speak to the womb of the dawn. How many knows the day gives birth to many things, doesn't it? The Bible says that. Can you speak to the womb of the dawn? I was like, the, womb, the dawn has a womb? Yep, the dawn has a womb. Apparently, the Bible says, command the dawn. Can you command the dawn? Command the dawn. Get in the spirit and begin to, some of you, here's another part. There's so many exercises with this stuff. You just get in the spirit and you just say, I command. Everything that sets before me will align in the name of Jesus. I command everything in this day that is out of order to come into order. I command all of the confusion over my priorities to lift now and that my priorities are sit and set and that my steps are ordered of the Lord. And you begin to just minister and command that dawn. This day will produce nothing but goodness for me. Fear is not my prophet. Evil is not my prophet. The goodness of my father is my prophet. I'm telling you, get, get, stop the love affair with the pillow. I'm serious. We have love affairs with the pillow. We do. Oh, that pillow. At night, we can't go to bed, but by morning, you're in a love affair with that pillow. You just can't let it go. I've never felt something so smooth and so cool before. Oh. Wake up, get going. You're going to see he'll start prompting you. He'll start waking you up. Yeah? I was getting up. I, I, I have been getting up. I just, last two days I haven't because I was trying to reset my reserves. But, like, I get up every morning. And every morning when I get up, and I get up, very, I get up early. And sometimes when I'm sleeping in, like, like, the Lord will move my arm. You start communing with Jesus, and he will long to meet with you. He'll wake you up to meet with you. He's like, you're going to meet with me? And he'll just meet with you. Just commune with you. I'm laying in bed, and I used to get up at 6.30, and I'd be just laying there, and I'd be like, oh, I'm going to sleep a little more, and my arm will go like that. Just jump. My arm will jump. I'm like, why is my arm jumping? Holy Spirit's like, get up, man. Get out there. Get out in the yard. Come on, get out there. Get out in the yard. Get out in the yard. It's cold outside. Jesus put a hoodie on. Get out there. Get out there. Get out there. Because he wants to meet with you. He wants more for you than you want from him. He wants to give to you. He wants to do that. But you got to do it. You can't do it, man. Just start doing it. Watch your life change. Say it. If I keep doing what I've, what, I, what I've been doing, I'm going to keep getting what I'm getting. If I want what I've never had, I must do what I've never done. You get that? You want something different? Do what you've never done. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Lastly is integration. Jesus is the light of the world. We have to align with him, set the day, man, set the morning, commune with him, respond to him, just worship him, you know, just integrate with him. Take the position, take the, feel the power. You're going to feel his presence, and sometimes it's a communion. Other times it's like, Kevin, take authority. Stop asking me to do something for you that I've given you the authority to do. Oh, Lord, help me with my day. Take authority over your day, son. 
right? It's like a kid that falls in the chairs on top of him. Help me, daddy. And your dad's like, just push the chair off, man. You know, you got the power to get up off the ground. God gives us, take authority over your day. A line or integration is do what he says. It's a kingdom culture mindset. Don't do what the culture says. Do what Jesus says. Stop aligning with people. Stop aligning with places. Stop aligning with things. Align your life with what he says. This is what will change. This is the life, the light, the phos, and this is the animate life that comes through Zoe. You're going to see it. You're going to experience it, and you're going to want it. You're going to get, it's going to become a habit for you. And this is a really good habit. Jesus said the last thing he said to them, he told these to Pharisees, he said, I'm going away and you're going to look for me and you won't find me and you're going to die in your sins because I stand in front of you as the one, then as the only one and as the Messiah. And he says, and where I go, you cannot come. He tells them they're going to die without him. To die without Christ is to be eternally separated. Make no mistake, there are no second chances, Christian. There's no second chances. Say, is hell, is hell real? Hell, yeah, hell's real. And Jesus is pleading and reaching and leaning towards these men. And he's trying to get them to come around. But they were willfully ignorant and they were willfully arrogant. No matter what the Lord did, they refused to believe. That's the worst place you could possibly be. Eternal separation, condemned in your sin. God doesn't condemn you. He's condemned the sin. That's what people don't understand. The condemnation is on the sin. As long as man is under sin, he is under condemnation. But in Christ, you're not under condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation. The condemnation that condemns man is that man's his own God. There are sins that cause all kinds of problems, but the sin of death, the sin of eternal separation, is man believing he's, own, he's his own God. Man believing he doesn't need Jesus. Man believing that he can math map his own way. That's the sin of separation, and that's the sin of condemnation. Jesus said, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that I've come and that I've risen from the dead, if you will do that, I will come in and you'll be saved. It's as simple as that. If there's anybody here this morning, you've never given your life to Christ, or you're not sure. You're kind of like, I don't know. I had a catechism. Does that count? No. Right? I was confirmed by a priest. Does that count? No. The Bible doesn't say unless a man is confirmed, unless a man has a catechism or a woman has a catechism. It says unless a person is born again, you must be born again. The church does not have the right to deem salvation on anyone. No man has a right to confer salvation. Only the Holy Spirit has that right, and he does it freely to all who ask him. And so if you're here this morning and you're watching us by stream and you've never given your life to Christ or you're confused and you don't know, today's your day. You don't have to understand it. You just have to believe it. We're going to say a quick prayer here. It's a 40-second prayer. It's an invitational prayer to, allow, to give your life to Jesus and to let Jesus take, take you as his own. And just pray it with me. Just say, Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior and I need a Savior. I may not understand this, but I choose to believe it. So I open my heart to you, Jesus. And I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. And all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, come on. We have a prayer team available. You guys are beautiful people. Let me bless you one more time. May the Lord bless you, sons and daughters. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. And may he give you peace. 
And may you forever live within his favor in Jesus' name. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week. Amen. Need prayer? Prayer is available.